Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunrise. Welcome to this beautiful, sunny spring morning. Thank you, Jesus, that now winter is behind us, spring is ahead of us, and we're, the, wa- the weather is going to get warmer and warmer and warmer. So praise God for that. Just as we were, uh, as I was getting ready for this morning and prepping for this service, just thinking how it's been a busy week. It's been a crazy year for us all, but um, some of us have been a super busy, weird week. Some of us has been a nice, relaxing week, but I thought it'd be a nice way to just start this morning, but in prayer. So why don't you guys stand with us? Just want to There we go. Get our thoughts and hearts centered on Jesus this morning. So why don't you guys pray with me? God, it is a good day. Thank you for this beautiful, sunny, warm weather we're experiencing. But God, uh, some of us come this morning with our kids, and it's been kind of crazy. We're rallying into the cars and into the church here. Or it's been a week full of exams or tests or deadlines at work. And again, some of us may have had a wonderful, peaceful week, but God, we just take this moment to breathe in deeply and exhale deeply, that we can just enjoy being in your presence today, that we can relax our shoulders, not thinking about the to-do list that we have to check off later today, but just being here in this moment, enjoying you ready to sing your praises and honor you for what you've done in our lives, for what you are doing and what we're in the middle of right now. God, may you receive all the honor and glory that we give to you today. May you receive this heart of praise that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together. Justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. 
your slave. Worthy is the King who conquers the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquers the grave. Oh, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquers the grave. Oh, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. been 
together. Oh God, we rest on that knowledge today, that you are our way maker. God, help us to relax our shoulders and know that you are making a way for us, God. We can stop striving and doing and pushing and needing to accomplish. We can let go and let you guide us, God. I thank you that you never stop working and that you continuous, continuously, recklessly pursue us. You love us so freely and you lavish that love upon us every moment of every day. God, we're so grateful. We fix our eyes on you today, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Amen. I love that. Good morning, everybody. How's it going? Good. Michigan won. Alabama won. My son wanted me to mention that. He's happy. Um, welcome. My name is Dan. Um, we're thankful that you're here. Whether you've been here for a long time or this is your first time joining us online or in the room. Thanks for being here. Um, over the last several weeks, months, we've been taking the time to walk through the story of Scripture. Not because we necessarily think you haven't heard of it before. Many of us have grown up hearing the story of God, but oftentimes the stories we become familiar with are the ones that we listen to the least. And so especially during the times of our lives where things seem difficult, we're always reaching out to the stories around us to help us make sense of our lives. Well, my life is difficult right now because of the story of the family that I grew up with. 
I always have bad luck, and so that's just the story of my life. That's where I land right now. Or you're like my brother-in-law, and somehow you always win things. And so he won a year's worth of free coffee at Dunkin' Donuts. (laughs) Thankfully, he doesn't live in town here, and so he bequeathed those to me. And so I'm grateful for that. But we all tell ourselves stories, right? And so we've been taking the time to realize the story that we've anchored ourselves into that God has invited us into when we have said that the story Jesus tells is the most compelling story that there is, and it is that story from which we will find our purpose and live our lives. And so we've walked through all the way back to the very beginning of the scriptures of the story in Genesis of God creating the world, and we're coming all the way up to what you know of as Easter, of Good Friday. Next weekend is Palm Sunday. And over these last few weeks, as we've been in this Lenten season, we've been taking the time to talk about who it is God welcomes. So this morning, we're going to continue that conversation. Now, I had somebody ask me this week, is the point of the message this weekend going to be different than the point of the message over the last several weekends? (laughs) And to a certain extent, the answer is no. Again, our big idea, our big picture idea is going to start with God welcomes. And we've been filling in that last blank. Who is it that God welcomes? Because I think a lot of the times we can fill in that blank with our ideas of who God welcomes based on who we welcome. Well, I will welcome the people who voted for the same MLB All-Stars as I did. Or I will welcome the people who root for the same teams or the people who wear the clothes I do or look the same way that I do, often we don't take the time to actually look at Scripture and let God fill in that blank, who does he welcome? And so this morning, yes, we are going to again ask ourselves the question, who does God welcome? And the way we're going to fill in that blank is by looking at a story in John chapter 13. John chapter 13 is a story of, among many things, Jesus washing the feet of his disciples. And the big picture idea this morning is this. God welcomes traitors. God welcomes traitors. Now, how in the world could a God do this? I'm hoping that we can answer this question together, looking at what it is that John writes to us, being one of the people who was in the room during the time that this meal, this interaction that we'll look at together, happened. We just sang a song about a God who recklessly loves that, and by that we don't mean that it That God is like Oprah necessarily, who says, you get a TV, you get a TV, you get a TV, and just drives recklessly down the road like a driver, but instead, someone whose love is so lavish that it almost seems foolish for a love to be that great. So when we recognize the depth and the breadth of God's love and how it has changed our own lives, we can confidently state together that God does indeed welcome traitors. So John chapter 13, if you want to... Pull up your analog device or your digital device. You're more than welcome to follow along. John is a follower of Jesus. He's also the guy who wrote the book of Revelation. But he takes the time here to tell us a story that goes like this. It was just before the Passover festival. This is a long Jewish tradition rooted in history that goes way back to the Exodus. Jesus knew, those words will come up again and again, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. John continues that 
Jesus knew, you see those two words again, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Based on all of this knowledge, what does Jesus then do? After he knows these things, John tells us that Jesus got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, Jesus knowing these things, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, 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 said Peter, (laughs) you should never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you're clean, Peter, though not every one of you. For he knew, for he knew what was going, who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, Jesus put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked? You call me teacher and Lord, and and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, you can bank on this. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Father, we open this text this morning. We open up our lives to you during this space and time in a very intentional way for a very clear purpose. And for those of us who are involved in this conversation who don't welcome this kind of conversation in this way, God, I pray that you would prompt us all to do this together, and that is to open up our lives, to take the time to remember again the extravagant love and grace that you have expressed to us so that we can be a people who, like your scripture says here on the lips of John, that we would be a people, too, who do these things so that we would be blessed by them and transform the lives of others as well. In Christ's name, amen. Now, I want to invite you to uh, do something with me that I'll be willing to bet a nickel none of you will actually do. I don't have nickels, so that's hyperbolic. Uh, Go ahead and take off your socks and your shoes if you want. Some of you, you're going to poke at your kid or your spouse and say, don't you do it. (laughs) Uh, And that's okay. You don't don't have to do this, but I'm going to do it. Uh, You're welcome that we have masks on today. That might help you. AJR uh, sings a song, and in that song, they ask this question. Should I go for more clicks this year? Or should I follow the click in my ear? Now, Dan and the band know about the click in your ear. When you're up here playing a guitar, which I have no idea how to do, or beating the drums, or playing the piano, these guys are wearing little earpieces. I don't know if you've noticed that. They're called in-ears. And in those ears is a sound that you most often don't hear, and it's a metronome. 
and it tells you which measure you're on, when you're going back to the chorus, and all kinds of things. And what AJR is asking is, this year that I am setting out on, am I going to go for more clicks online? Am I going to do whatever it is the crowd around me wants me to do, or will I follow that click in my ear? I think that right there, for me, as I look at this passage, is a helpful idea to hold on to. So what we have in this story, that we already read it, is a story of Jesus who gathers his disciples together. This is what's often called the Last Supper. Each of the, well, three out of the four Gospels tell us about the story. Paul takes the time to tell us about this story in Corinthians. This is an important part of the life of Jesus. It's an important part that defines not just his relationship with his disciples who were in that room with him, but it defines his relationship with us as well. And so as, as we zoom in, we find Jesus who's reserved a space. He's worked out the details with perhaps some of the women who have supported the ministry of Jesus. And they get together a meal and they sit and they celebrate Passover, we found in the first verse in this chapter. And this Passover meal is the recalling again of the works of God in the Old Testament when Jesus, when God rescued his people Israel out of Egypt. And the last plague that the Egyptians experienced that actually freed the Israelites was when the angel of death came and slayed the firstborn Egyptian children. Now that sounds like an awful thing. But the part of that story that the Jews cling to most, that we cling to and should be on our ears as we hear this story, is this. The people of God were rescued by the blood of a lamb that was put over the doorpost. And it's that context in which we find Jesus and his disciples sharing a meal. Now, sharing a meal, as you guys know, is a pretty pretty nice thing to do, right? I mean, I grew up Baptist. You can't end very many services without a meal. Uh, In West Michigan, you have to get together with your families for a meal after church on Sunday. If you want to meet with someone, it's easiest to do that if you meet with them over a meal, or beers, or coffee, or tea, whatever it is. Jesus intentionally chooses to gather his disciples around a meal, an ultimate expression of, come sit down, I am welcoming you. And John tells us that as he does this, he does it with a head that is full of knowledge. Jesus knew. See if I can get in this guy here. Jesus knew. What is it that Jesus knows? John goes on to tell us that Jesus knows that in this room with him, around this table, sharing a meal with him, are men who have decided to invest their lives in him, who've been willing to give up other opportunities, turned their backs on a fishing career, decided to follow Jesus in his philosophy on life instead of someone else's, but also in this group of people who he is saying goodbye to, are two people that John tells us about. One of them is Peter. Peter, if you guys know much about him, is an interesting cat. (laughs) Peter is a guy who speaks before he thinks. Uh, Some of us, I'm more of an introvert, so I like to hold things in until 
I can shape the words just right, and they sound sparkly and glittery, and Hemingway comes to mind, and then I'll say it. And if there's anything I'm wishing, it's that I would have just said it earlier. But then there's another group of people who say things very quickly. And if they are doing any wishing, it's that they could grab the words out of the air and put them back into their mouths. I will not ask you to raise your hands if you know those people. But Peter's one of these people. But Peter is fiercely, fiercely in love with Jesus. And wants to do everything he can to follow him well. <laughs> so Jesus, who knows this circle of people, who knows that Peter is there with him, who knows that the time of his death, of Jesus' own death, is coming, sits at a table. Peter is a, a guy who is there. He's sitting down. He's at the table. And he's already got his shoes off. I mean, that's a pretty normal thing to do back then. You take your shoes off when you come into a house in West Michigan if it's a good, stout Michigan home so you don't get the carpet or the hardwood floors dirty. And in that context, you take off your shoes because your sandals that you have on that probably looked like Chacos back then, they don't keep the dirt out. And so it would be a household servant who would come and wash your feet and get them nice and clean and smelling a little bit better than they did when you got in. Apparently in this story, that had not yet happened. I mean, it was, <laughs> it's foolish for the leader of a group of people to get up to wash someone else's feet. That's a nasty job. It's not what you do if you're a dignified person. And yet Jesus, <laughs> knowing that his time had come for him to die, takes several steps of love toward his disciples. One of them being he gets a room, he pulls his disciples into it. He knows that his hour of death is coming. He takes the time to notice that his disciples' feet are dirty. So as their socks and shoes in our context are off, Jesus takes off his outer garments, walks around to each of the disciples, begins to wash their feet. He notices the, the hangnails, the hairs that are there, and the, perhaps the scars, the bunions. He has all of the senses, so he's, he's smelling their feet. He's doing this wearing what a servant wears, not his clothes that make him look dignified. His, if he's wearing a suit, this would be a good expression of taking off the outer garments. He's taken off his jacket, he's taken off his tie, loosened his top collar, rolled up his sleeves, and he's washing the feet of his high school students. <laughs> he comes to Peter. Peter says, look, <laughs> this, is, this is beneath you. This is giving me too much honor. Would you please not wash my feet? Peter has no idea what's going to happen the next few days. Peter doesn't know that at some point he's going to be standing in a group of people who will point their fingers at him and ask, are you, are you a follower of Jesus? Peter doesn't know even how he's going to respond, but Jesus knows that in those moments what Peter is going to say, not once, not twice, but three times, which in baseball means you have struck out. Peter's going to say, I don't even know this Jesus who you're talking about. Jesus knows all of these things and he washes 
Peter's feet after finally convincing Peter that it's okay for this to happen. Jesus tells Peter here, and you can see it on the screen, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. You're not going to wash my feet. Unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. These are important words. Jesus literally prepares a table for his disciples. He's welcoming all of them in, including Peter, who's going to betray him. Jesus knows this. Jesus is careful to say, you cannot continue to be in relationship with me, Peter, unless you're going to let me change your life. Unless you're going to let me give up my life for your sake. And unless you give up your priorities to follow my life, you cannot be with me. And this is not an expression of, look, if you don't agree with me, you're done. Like, this is your last chance, last call. Anybody in? If you're not, that's okay. Just go ahead and go. No, this is Jesus saying, look, you, I want you to be with me. Would you just, would you just let me wash your feet? So he does it. He washes Peter's feet. Apparently, this is all that Jesus needs to wash. (laughs) Peter says, well, if you need to wash my feet, then surely you need to wash all of me. Hold the phone there, Peter. (laughs) I know you love me, but I'm just washing your feet. Then we find out more that Jesus knows even more than just that his disciples who are here are enjoying their last meal with him as he goes to his death. He knows more than just Peter is there with him who's going to betray him. But he knows right here in this last line, he knows that not everyone in that room is clean. And so as he's going through washing people's feet, we don't know where Judas was in the line of the disciples, but at some point... Jesus comes to the feet of Judas. John doesn't tell us this, but does Jesus wash Judas' feet? We don't know. But we do know that Judas Iscariot is at this meal. Judas Iscariot, whom Jesus knows is going to betray him, is invited to this meal. How many of you, (laughs) students, would willingly go sit at the table of the people who have been bullying you and tell them, hey, I'm here because I want you to be my friend. But you know they're going to beat you up for sitting over there. How many of you would do that? Raise your hand. Exactly. How many of you adults right now have a list of people who you want to invite over to your home and have on that list of people your friends, your relatives who have stabbed you in the back? How many times do I think as I share a meal with people whom I have loved, I am going to invite them and love them freely even if it means a week from now they will stab me in the back? None of us can tell the future. I mean, we don't know what any of us are going to be doing in five years, ten years. I, I once sat in a, 
a building, an auditorium with a pastor who was standing up front. He was wagging his finger at people, telling them, you don't even know if you're saved because you don't even know what you're going to do 10 years from now. How dare you assume that you're saved, that one day you're going to be with Jesus? Number one, that's horrible theology. Number two, 10 years later, that pastor, a nationally known pastor, was kicked out of his church because he made horrible decisions. Awful, immoral decisions. So let's get this to today. Whether you have your socks or your shoes off or not, I want us to imagine that we are at this meal that, G- that John describes. Jesus is saying all throughout his ministry as you sit in this chair that you're in, let the children come to me. Let the little man who's up in a tree who no one likes and whom everyone has condemned, let that person come to me. I welcome them. And then what Jesus says in this story through his actions is even those who 10 years from now Three years from now, one day from now, are going to claim that they don't know me? I'll wash their feet. I don't know about you, but I've lived a life of ups and downs. I've lived a life where... I would say to all of you, yeah, if you could go back in time with me, this is a section of my life I would be proud of you to come and see. And then there are those moments that I don't want anybody else to know about. Those moments when I have turned my back on the way of Jesus, when I have chosen willfully and with excitement to do exactly the opposite of the things that God has called me to do, and I have found myself to be Peter at least. Sometimes Judas is scary, and I want nothing more than to keep my socks and my shoes on and stiffen my upper lip and tell Jesus, no, 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 you don't need to wash my feet. My feet are plenty clean. I think the invitation in this story for you and for me is no matter the narratives that we tell ourselves, the stories of whether we see ourselves as kids who are innocent, who are coming to Jesus like John, who in this passage describes himself as someone who loved Jesus purely. Or we come into spaces like these to share a meal with Jesus, in a sense. We don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. And we're barely holding on to Jesus and what it is that he's been teaching us in his way of life. Or maybe we're in this room or joining online, just like Judas Iscariot, who is already scheming and already planning to walk away and turn his back on Jesus regardless of where you and I are as we come together in this story at a meal with Jesus, the invitation for all of us is the same. Would you just take off your socks and your shoes? Would you let Jesus welcome you? Because in the words of Jesus, if you don't let him do that, can't be with him. We can't live his life. We can't be the followers of Jesus we are designed to be if we're not coming to a meal with Jesus and saying, Jesus, I I need you to wash my feet. 
And I trust your love, regardless of how strong my love for you is or isn't, I trust your love to be what it is that will wash my feet. Not my own love, not my own works. There are times that all of us have walked the dirty paths of life. We've collected huge amounts of dust, of scars on our feet, open wounds that we cover up as best as we can with our socks and our shoes, and we only take those off when we go to the, uh, what's the right word? What's the name of the people who, what? Podiatrist, but like the people who put nail polish and stuff on your feet. Pedicurists. We'll take our socks and shoes off for them. Because they can make them look really pretty, right? I mean, I don't, but some of you do. Some of you don't even want your spouses to see your feet. Feet here, the physical feet, is obviously not what's most important. What Jesus is saying is that spiritually your feet that have accumulated dust and dirt and bruises and wounds that you don't want anyone else to see. It is safe to open those up to me. So no matter what dirty paths you've walked down, you don't need to wash your own feet. Just let Jesus do it. So who does God welcome? (laughs) God welcomes kids. God welcomes people who have been condemned. God even welcomes the people who he knows at some point in life are going to turn their backs on him like Peter. But that doesn't give you enough confidence to say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to love you. Because I see in this story that you welcome Peter even before he knew that he was going to turn his back on you. I don't know what story can compel me. Maybe perhaps for you there's another. I don't know what story can compel me to say, okay, then I'll let you wash my feet too. God welcomes traitors. And at the end of this passage, Jesus says this as well. I've set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. No one who sits under a teacher can sit there and tell a teacher what to do. I mean, you can, but good luck doing that because they're the ones who hold the letter grade. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. You don't have more authority than the person who's sending you. Now that you know this story, now that you know these things that I am trying to do for you, you will be blessed if you do them. Your life will be blessed if you simply let Jesus wash your feet. We will be a community who blesses others if regardless of how dirty they are, we let people take off their socks and their shoes. We bring them to Jesus to wash their feet. There's a prayer that uh, I found in a a prayer book that I have that I want to close this conversation with. This book is called A Rhythm of Prayer. It's a collection of meditations for renewal edited by Sarah Bessie. And the authors here are women from all over, all different backgrounds, who write prayers. And there's one here by Anuma Okoro, who is a Nigerian-American. He writes this prayer, a prayer for when we've lost our way, when our feet have gotten dirty. So maybe perhaps for you this can become your prayer. Merciful Lord, sometimes it seems like we can't help but lose our way again and again. 
Our hearts long to follow you, but you know the way of the human heart. You know how in our misguided longings we veer off our journey to you and begin to chart our own ways by false starts and distorted visions. Forgive us. God, forgive us for all the times that we're tempted by the hints of light instead of remaining steered by the assurance of your light. Forgive us when we forget that you're already claimed by you, loved by you, and purposed for you. God, forgive us when we allow ourselves to shape, to be shaped by voices and words that don't bring life, that don't create life, nurture life, sustain life, or resurrect life. Merciful God, help us find our way again. Turn us back towards the road, spotted with your other pilgrims, wayfarers and repentant servants. Remind us that your way is the way, the way of returning. Guide us by your spirit and by your light. Make us remember the power of the spirit within us. Make us remember the gifts of our minds, our hearts, and our bodies that you have bestowed on us. That we would use them to honor the directives and the invitations you lay upon us. We know that our ways are not your, your ways, and we thank you for that. Help us to trust your ways over our ways. Remind us of your faithfulness as you forgive us our short memory. In your immeasurable love, grace, mercy, and wisdom, do not abandon us regardless of how often we lose our way. Place your wounded hands upon our broken hearts and turn us toward you, Lord of light, Lord of the life. Lord of Resurrection. Amen. Regardless of how dirty your feet are, how many bruises, cuts you've accumulated along the way, you're welcome to take a seat. So there's a seat for you at the, the table that Jesus is preparing. Whatever way it looks for you, you can do it quietly, you can do it with lots of words, you can do it while we're singing a song, tears streaming down your face, or just stoically there like a good West Michigan person, that's what I do. But somehow this week, would you take the time to internally just find yourself in the chair with your socks and your shoes off, letting Jesus welcome even you to him. The band's going to come on up, we'll sing a song, and as they do that, I want to invite you uh, to do two things. One, to say hi to Julie. Julie Matthijs, back here, is our ministry assistant. For those of you who have been with us for a while, Cindy Vanderho- uh, Vanderhorn was here and transitioned out several months ago. Julie has jumped in a few months ago. She's wonderful. Um, she and Noah, Noah has been up here to preach before are a great family with their daughter, Alethea. We are super excited that she's here. In whatever way that you guys are appropriately comfortable, and you guys are too, welcome them after the service. Uh, And then finally, uh, each service we end with uh, a song, with an opportunity for people to give. Um, Some people come planning to financially contribute to the ministry of a church. Uh, Others don't, and that's okay. Um, Our objective is not to push anybody into it, but if you want to give, we're going to let you know how that you can do that. Um, You can scan the QR code up on the screen on the chair in front of you to give electronically. There's also a bucket back here in the back uh, for you to drop off a gift there if you'd like to. Let's sing one more song.
words we just sang are true. There's a place for you. doesn't matter where you've been, what life has looked like for you, what roads you have traveled down, there is always an opportunity to sit. If you have questions about any of this stuff, if it doesn't make sense to you, come on up and ask questions. I'd, I'd be happy to talk with you. In the moments of your life that are coming up that you will discover, Regardless of how well you follow Jesus or you don't, may you remember that at the Last Supper, even Peter, who was going to turn his back on Jesus, was warmly loved, was welcomed. And may that transforming love and grace be what it is that shapes our lives and drives us into the world around us. Sunrise, you are loved, not just by this church, but by a God who welcomes you. Carry that with you this week. We love you guys.